Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. How are you guys today? You guys good? Yeah. This is gathering number four, and I think this is going to be the best one yet. You guys excited about being here today? Anybody excited? Yeah. Nine of you are. Yes to the nine. Yeah. So glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here um, at LifePoint. Hey, just before I begin, let me tell you, especially for those of you who are new here, um, so for the next three weeks, we'll be in this series, and then on the fourth Sunday from now, um, we'll have our Christmas service, which is what we call it. It's filled with lots of music, some fun. Um, we'll be telling you the Christmas story, a short message, but this is the one, we want you to invite people to every one of them, but this is the one you want to invite people who maybe don't normally like church or normally wouldn't go to church. And then Christmas Eve, we have three gatherings for you, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 5 o'clock, where we worship together, we light candles together, we take communion together, again, we hear the Christmas story, and we sing traditional carols together, and it's our family service, uh, really, really it's my favorite. I probably it's my favorite of all the services that we do. And then the last Sunday of the month, we have a Sabbath Sunday. The team takes off. Everybody takes off. You can go online and worship with us there. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on what's coming um, so you'll know exactly how to plan if you're that far. Some of you are planners. Some of you are like, dude, I'm going to make it up as I go along. Yeah, that's how I live my whole life. Can I get a witness from somebody that's like me on that? Yeah. Yeah, that's the reason I am like I am, right? Anyways, um, hey, one last thing. Before I jump in, uh, last uh, Friday and Saturday, we did something here that we've never done before. We called it Freedom Conference. And I didn't have the results for you last time, but it was an amazing conference. There was about 70 participants. These are people who had gone through our Freedom Curriculum, which I invite every one of us to do. It will change your life as it has mine. And then we culminate that with this Freedom Gathering. And I'm telling you, man, it helps us with the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of life, which all of us have and I saw some people get so much freedom and good things that happened in their life. And so I just want to challenge you for that. But, but listen, 19 people, the staff told me, gave their lives to Jesus during the conference. And around, I think it was 11 people uh, got baptized on the weekend. So thank you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So today we're beginning um, the season of Advent, which starts today. There's much of Christendom uh, celebrates this. It's a, um, it's a time, Advent just means coming where we wait with expectant hope and the preparing of our hearts for Christmas. Now, of course, Jesus has already come. But when we, when we gather with expectancy for what God might do, we're kind of tying ourselves to the people who were waiting for the promised Messiah all those years ago. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. We didn't talk about Advent. We just celebrated Christmas. Probably some of you are like me in that, that you didn't really know, you don't even really know what that's about. But I want to I wanna bring this to you. I want to challenge you towards uh, uh, leaning into this Advent season because I think it can have really profound effects on your spiritual life in ways that maybe you haven't experienced during the Christmas season that we make much uh, of Jesus during the season. And rather than just um, the presents and the food and the mistletoe and the songs and lights and I love all of that. Can I get an amen on the food too? Amen. It's all good. It's all good. All the cookies and the, my wife makes amazing peanut butter fudge and, and then it just becomes peanut butter fudge on me. And, uh, but I taste delicious. You know what I'm saying? Uh, anyways, that's terrible. Anyways, um, I love it all, but I want to I I I challenge us to lean in more heavily than normal to Jesus. And so 
to help us get there, um, Luke, who wrote the letter to Luke and the book of Acts, they were both written to a, somebody named Theophilus. Oh, excellent Theophilus, he says. He's writing a record of what Jesus said and did and then what the apostle, what Jesus continued to do and then what the apostles did as well. He's talking about early. This is chapter 1 of Luke's gospel. And he's talking about this. He's recording the words of an angel who appears to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah, by his own admission, says, I'm old. And the angel's telling him he's gonna have a, they're going to have a baby, he and his wife. She said, we're both old. We're advanced in age is what, how he says it. And so the angel says that your baby, he will bring, this is John the Baptist that we're talking about. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will bring back many people who have wandered away from God. And he will go on before the Lord, before Jesus, because he's the forerunner of Jesus. We know this. If you know the Bible at all, you know that John the Baptist is preparing the way of the Lord. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, if you're not familiar, Elijah is one of the great prophets of, of the, the nation of Israel. So it's like Moses and Elijah. You with me? Like It's a big deal. He's going to go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah <clears throat> to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the bis- disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And then this, to make ready people prepared. Say that with me, prepared for the Lord. So, so what John the Baptist does for the nation of Israel, Advent has the same, can have, it's made to have the same effect on us that we prepare our hearts before the Lord and that we pray that God will bring back many of the people who have wandered from faith. You with me? This is Advent. So, so the series is Come, Let Us Adore Him. This is a different Christmas series than I've ever done before. You know, you can only say so many things about Christmas and before you start having to repeat yourself, you know. This is something we've never said before in any way, shape, or form. And, and what I want to do, do is in this series is focus on one big idea, and I put it here on the screen. When you truly understand the Christmas story or the Christ in the Christmas, the only reasonable response is to worship him. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense yet, but I hope that it will. The only reasonable response to, oh, that's what this is all about, is is I worship you, God. Thank you, God, for what you've done. So I want to help us, and I want to help me get this over the next few weeks in ways that I haven't before, maybe you haven't before, even, even seasoned believers. I want to help us get it. I want God to show up in ways that he hasn't before so that we get it. This Christmas, every Christmas, we got to be reminded, and if we don't know it yet, we got we to realize that Christ is the greatest gift that we'll ever receive, and worship is, on, is the only proper response to his coming to save us from our sins. Now, so we're talking, thank you, we're talking this Christmas season through this series about worship. And I know that's a different word because Christmas is a, a, is a word I know that people think about family and presents and food and travel and we wish for snow but we only get that apparently once in a lifetime and it happens all at once in February on Valentine's Day. Anybody remember this? We lose power. We have no water to flush our toilets. It stinks in our houses. Come on. That's too much, Danny. Too much, Danny. Anyways, I'm just reminding myself for the next time that I have to say this thing. Anyways. So, so we don't think probably be about worship, but I'm going to argue that we should. Now think about the word worship. What does it mean to you? Just think about it. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just think about it. For, for a lot of us, it probably means like singing, music, so, so that worship is a spiritual, musical act. 
right? Some of us, the notion of worship is this is what I do when I come here. I come to a worship service. Some of you who have little kids, you think of this as a time for an hour and 10 minutes where you get to drop off your kids to some free childcare help. And so there is a God, and his name is holy and righteous. Come on, and we worship him for that. Anybody feeling me on that one? Little, only four parents in the room today, apparently. We love our kids, but every now and then somebody wants to give us a break, we'll take it for that hour and 10 minutes, right? But, but, but what is worship? At the core of it, worship is a response to something that's been revealed to us. Here, here's how I'm going to say it. Worship is our response to God, right? Because that's who, who it's for. And, and for two things, for who he is and for what he has done. So, so worship is our response, your response, my response. It's individual. It's not just corporate. It's our individual response to God for who he is and for what he's done. So it's based on who you think God is to you and what he's done for you, particularly at Christmas. So, so Jesus, God reveals himself to us as, in Jesus on the first Christmas, right? And people respond to that. That's what we're going to see today. People responded in a very specific way. So that's how it always works for you and me as God reveals himself to us, maybe through a song or a sermon or the words of a trusted friend, whatever it is, through the reading of the scriptures, God reveals and our response is dictated by what he reveals to us. You with me? So if you and I can clearly see what's at the heart of Christmas then, then our only reasonable response, I'm going to keep saying that, I use the word reasonable response because Romans 12.1 says, in view of God's mercies. Our, our reasonable response is to, to worship him. That's what it says in Romans 12, 1. In view of the mercies of God, like I was lost, I was headed for hell, I was headed for a Christless eternity, but in view of the mercies of God, my, my, my only reasonable response is a spiritual act of worship. All right? So, so now I want you to think about the very first Christmas. Think about your nativity scene if you've already got them out. How many of you, just show of hands, have already started decorating for Christmas? Show of hands, show of hands. Yeah, the rest of you are bitter at those people. Like, it's not even December yet. You're like a Grinchy kind of a person, like a bah humbug, Scroogey or whatever. We've already done this at our house. I have no choice but to go along with it, just FYI. <laughs> Bad things can happen if I don't act like it's the best day ever. Thank you, babe. I love you. Anyways, but think about the people at the first Christmas. You, th you think of Mary and Joseph. There's the shepherds. Remember that? There are the angels who show up to the shepherds. Eventually, the, the magi show up, right? The, the, the wise men, we call them. There, there's a guy that's lesser known, Zechariah. I just told you about him. There's a guy named Simeon who's a priest at the temple. There's a prophetess named Anna that, that's in the story in Luke chapter 2. In every case, with the exception of Joseph, who doesn't say much apparently because we don't have anything that he says hardly at all. In every single case, when they hear the good news or when they see the, G, the Christ child, their response every single time is awe and wonder and worship and majesty every single time. Why? Why does it elicit that kind of a response? Why? Because this is, the, this is no ordinary baby. This is the baby. The baby, um, the, the, the Messiah that has been promised for generations because they've gone through so much trouble because they kept turning their hearts away from God. They've gone through so much trouble. They've been waiting in hundreds of years prior the prophets prophesied there's coming somebody. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 9, this is one of the most famous places. This is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. For 
Some of you will read it like this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government, not just the government at the time, but the government for, forever, for, from there on and forevermore, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Meaning all of these kingdoms and governments that rise and fall, they're all rising and falling at the will of God. Did you, did you understand that? Oh, no, no, it's the will of the people. No, 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 no. It's always the will of God. God is always choosing who's going to rise. Kingdoms come. Nations fall new people come, and you're thinking only in terms of your president now or before, whatever. Not like, not every government everywhere always is rising and falling on the shoulders of Jesus, right? And, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That baby on first Christmas morning is this baby, right? So, so is it any wonder then when Mary hears... The angel sang to her, this child will be born in her. When the angels sing aloud this, this wonderful news, when, when the, shepherd, the shepherds go and see for themselves, and the magi finally appear following the star to where Jesus was, that their response is always awe and wonder, and are you kidding me? And this is the greatest thing we've ever seen, and joy beyond measure. Is it any wonder? This baby is God in human flesh. This is the incarnation, what we call it. And I like to say it this way. The incarnation, the root word is carne or carne. We say it here. Come on, can I get a witness on that? It just means God with meat, right? Proof that God is not a vegetarian, everybody. Can all the men say hallelujah to the Lamb of God, right? Sorry, redneck joke in the house today, right? Hillbilly joke. All right, anyways. My wife's from Beaumont. I have to, I, Beaumont, okay, anyways, um. I'm not scoring points well today. She's like, you're going to get cut when we get home, all right? Just a little Nick for Jesus, a little Saint Nick for Jesus. This guy's a pastor? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the incarnation. So I want you to think about this. Think, think of Mary holding baby Jesus in her arms, helpless, dependent, vulnerable, laying him down, in, in the manger there, cooing in the manger. At the same time that he's laying in the manger, he is the eternal God who Hebrews 1.3 says is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Right, And it says in the same verse that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's who's laying there. The Savior of the world has been born. And this is such a big deal for anyone who at that first Christmas sees this, hears this, understands this, that their only response every single time is to fall on their knees and worship him. And oftentimes this worship gets expressed through song. People think about this throughout the ages, throughout the, the history of, the man, of mankind. Go look at the museums. Go look at the ancient artifacts. Always, in every case, ancient civilizations removed from jungle regions, from desolate desert regions, always objects of worship. Always. That God has wired it up in mankind to look for something greater, something bigger, something higher. So people sing in response to that notion. And they sing in, in honest moments when they are desperate for, for, for something, when they need courage. When, when we're happy, we sing. Some of you, when you're happy, you will whistle. Can I, can I get an amen from all the whistlers in the house? My wife occasionally, wow, I'm coming at you a lot today. She will just burst into whistling, and it just makes me so happy to see her just whistling, because I'm a whistler. Any whistlers? Yes? Three or four of you? All right. When we're desperate, we sing. 
But think about this. Even when we're saddened, we sing. You ever go into a hospital room where we know somebody's about to pass, and what do people do? They start to sing the great songs. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They sing it as a way of comforting themselves. In fact, we know from the, from, from the biblical record that Jesus himself was a singer. So, so on the night that he was going to be crucified, at the Last Supper, we call it, we, we celebrate communion based on this, this thing that Jesus says, remember me in this way. On that last night, as he's about to leave, as he's about to go out and be betrayed and, and to be put into the hands of sinners, it says, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, probably one of the great psalms of David, when they had sung this together, Jesus included, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Music says things for us in ways that really nothing else can. Music is always associated with Christmas. In fact, take a second, a little crowd participation, lean over to somebody around you, and some of you are like, there's, some, there's nobody close to. Just yell it out then, right? What's your favorite Christmas song? Come on, say it real quick. Say it to somebody real quick, right? Come on. Some of you are like, I'm not doing it, man. Yours is the Grinch, right? Come on. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, right? Come on. Right, bah humbug and whatnot, right, right. Music, the music worship connection goes all the way back to, some of you are like, I'm going to give you all my whole Spotify playlist. You're still telling them. Oh, and then number four is, you know, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Anybody know this song, right? Powerful, all right. What a hymn of, of the ages, right? The, the music connection goes all the way back. It's the fourth gathering, and I'm like, yeah, right? It's time to eat. So, so one of the things that we know from, from history is that during the time of Jesus, and really before and after, music was often associated with the birth of a child, and here's why. In those times, and, in, and really in other parts of the world still to this day, having a baby is a very dangerous thing for mother and child, Yes? Right, so when, when, it was con- when, when, when it all happened and baby and, and mother were good together, they would have, to, they would have musicians and singers there uh, who would sing and, 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 and make merry that this had happened. Now with Jesus, his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, they've come down from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, right? Or up to Bethlehem. I can't remember the geology of there. Um, and it's a four or five day walk. They've, they, they're going because there's a census being taken. They, everybody has to go back to their ancestral home. And Joseph is from Bethlehem. His family historically is from Bethlehem. But they have no relatives. They have no friends there to stay with. We know they don't have a room in the inn. They stay in a cave or a, or a barn or something. They have no musicians there, so God has to make other arrangements for there to be music at the birth of Jesus, and he does. And so there are shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, the Bible says, and lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And here's what the angel says. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of, of what? of great joy that will be for all the people. Friend of you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, right? A Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this is, will, will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this is all the information they need to go do what they end up doing, but they don't, the angels don't stop there because the verse goes on and says, and suddenly there is with that one angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and singing or saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels burst forth in a, in a doxology of song and, and brilliance. And so in response, the, the shepherds run with haste to see Mary and Joseph and the babe. And then they return back and it says, and they returned praising God and glorifying him for all the things that they had seen and heard. Why? Why? 
because they understand, the angels understand, the shepherds understand that when you see the Christ in Christmas, the only reasonable response is to, is to worship him. Worship is just in us. We were wired up to sing. It's not an accident that we sing. And, 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 and historically, like through the generations, people have sung the songs of their people, right? Singing isn't the product then of human cleverness or, or of human uh, uh, artistry or, or technology. It's not an accident. God put this in us because worship and singing the songs helps us to rise above the noise and to see the greatness of our God. And in worship, I think about, I dwell on, I delight in, I find ways to express the goodness and the greatness and the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of the one who can create all of this. The cry to do this is all throughout human literature and particularly in the Bible. Psalm 34 is one of the great psalms, I think, And the psalmist says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. When I worship God, when I sing his praises, I have the opportunity, the capacity then to see things as they really are, to see clearly. Uh, Even even if there are bad things happening around me, I can see that, that life is an unbelievable gift, even in all of its troubles. And that the possibility to, to experience joy and trust Whatever my circumstances are is, is, is available to me. And listen, the, the, the alternative to worship during this season could, could be despair. Right? And we know from, from all, the, all of the data out there that Christmas is not always joyful for everybody. That many people are lonely and sad or brokenhearted or missing someone. And, and despair becomes an option. And people will experience despair in the season. Whether we like it or not, they will experience it for various reasons. But there is There is within us, all of us, the capacity to choose to worship in spite of what's happening around us. And and, and that kind of of, of sacrificial worship, if I can say it that way, there is this this soul-level lifting effect, a, a lifting of the heart, a lifting of the soul, a kind of spiritual altitude that can be achieved in no other way than than through the worship of our God. And in Christmas, I can choose to worship the king and the reality that this great God of heaven who on the first Christmas became Emmanuel, God with us. And I get to praise him and I get to worship him and it does something to the soul. Worship is how I see how big God is, how I draw closer to him, how I derive meaning and joy and hope. And I also see in worship sometimes how very small I am. And you would say, well, why would you want that, Danny? I know it's very countercultural to think this, but I think it's a really good thing sometimes for you and I to understand how very small we are in the larger scope of the universe and what God is doing in the universe. And, 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 and sometimes it's, 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 it's good to go against culture, which would say that it's all about making yourselves as powerful and as big as possible. But if there's not something bigger than me, then God help me. Come on, I don't want to bring you down, but if there's not something bigger than all of us together, then God help us. Right? But, but it's interesting how 
The Christmas story inverts what is culturally normal in our society now. It inverts it because you remember the wise men, the magi, as the Bible calls them. They come to Bethlehem. These are powerful, wealthy men, and, and, and they are following the star. The, the, some people say up to seven or 900 miles away they've come, and they may not realize it in this moment as they follow the star, but they are fulfilling another prophecy of Isaiah who says in Isaiah chapter 60, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And they don't know this. But, but here's, what, here's what Matthew says. These, these powerful, wealthy men, these alpha, you know, big dogs, on, on, and wherever they're from, the Bible says when they saw the star, they rejoiced, which is enough, right? Like, woohoo, right? But they rejoiced exceedingly with what? Great joy. And, and going into the house, these powerful men, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they what? They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We're going to come back to the story in a couple of weeks because this is a powerful thing that's happening right here. here. Here are these powerful, wealthy men from afar. And when they finally see Jesus, what's their response? They bow down. They go to their knees. They make themselves small. Why? Because somehow, from, even though they're not Jewish, even though they don't know the stories necessarily the way that these people would have, they have some sense of what God is doing, the miraculous nature of a star that has led them from far away, that the God of all creation now is not here now striking a power pose. He's not being the alpha God, even though he is alpha and omega. He is humbling himself. He is making himself small. I love the way that Ann Voskamp says it. She says, infinite God becomes infant God. Infinity is cramming itself into a little baby, into a humble little manger out of love to redeem you and me. And when we get this, that the greatness of God is condensed into a baby, when we understand what Christmas is about, that God became a man so that he could rescue us and redeem us, it has a way of clarifying everything. And then once we see it, the only response reasonable is to worship him as every character in the Bible story does. There's this other character in the Christmas story, whose name is Mary. An angel appears to her one day. She's just probably 14 or 15 years old, most likely. She's a virgin. We know this from the text, obviously. We know this is the big, big thing about her. And, 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 and an angel shows up and says to her, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you, right? Now, it takes her some time to, unpro to process what he tells her, that you're going to have this baby. This is going to be Christ the Lord. He's going to save his people from, his sin, from their sins. But when she begins to grasp the enormity of what's happening in her and to her and through her, she, she breaks forth in song, and it's called the Magnificat. She says, my soul, say this with me, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. She's a nobody from a nobody family. And the Messiah is going to be born from her. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And what? And holy is his name. Every time, even the mother of Jesus breaks forth in song. But notice the words, my soul 
magnifies the Lord. See, what I know about Christmas here, and you've heard me say this if you've gone here, but Christmas is a magnifier. So, so that if, if you are filled with joy during the season, guess what? Christmas is going to magnify that in your life. But on the other hand, if you're filled with sorrow or sadness or loss or despair, is going to magnify that. But here's the beautiful news here in the story is you get to choose what gets magnified. You can magnify yourself as our culture teaches us. You can magnify your loss or what's gone or what's missing or what's not happening or what you, what you wish could happen. You can magnify that or you can magnify the Lord as Mary does. And something about people who realize I am I'm, 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 I, I, the humble estate, she recognizes in humility who she is. But she recognizes the greatness of the God who's coming down here. And something happens when people humble themselves and worship God loves to exalt those kind of people so that they don't have to make a big deal of themselves. They don't have to make much of themselves because God will do it for them and all the generations will call her blessed. And here we are 2,000 years later calling Mary blessed. You see this? You can magnify God in a season even when you're feeling, especially when you're feeling despair or hope or loss. So to magnify God means to declare his greatness, to ascribe worth Right? Do you understand worship is the word worthship, ascribing worth? So, that, so worship it, it isn't about just who, who God is, right? You can worship anything. Anything that you ascribe highest value to, you're worshiping that. Oh, no, I, I worship God. No, 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 that's not how it works. It's whatever I give my full attention to, my energy to, my, my, my best thoughts to, that's what I worship. I ascribe worship to him. So that's what Mary does, and she, 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 she exalts God in response. He exalts her back. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying to a close. Let me give you some handles to walk out of into this season with, okay? Things that you can pick up and do. So first thing, this is my challenge to you. Not all of you would do it. Some of you will, and you're going to be blessed because you do it. I promise you are. Not because I said it, because it's, it's what God wants. Every time you see something out there, a nativity scene, or something that reminds you of the Christmas story, not... Not what we've made of it, but what it is. You stop. Listen to me. You stop and you pause and you worship God. You can do that by lifting your hands. You can do it by singing a song. You can do it just by pausing and mentally saying, thank you, God, for sending Jesus on Christmas to save me. Think, think about the difference in your life. Think about the difference in your life and you'll just pause and worship him whenever you see anything that reminds you of this. So, so some of you would say, well, Danny, I don't want to do that because what if I don't feel like worshiping in that moment? So my worship won't be authentic. Okay, think about it this way because we live in a touchy-feely world right now. Everything's touchy and feely. So I so, okay, I get that. But think about this way. Is devotion a good word? Yeah, like you want your family to be devoted to you. You want to be devoted to them. You want your kids, your parents, your spouse, wh whatever it is. You want devotion. But guess what? Devotion has nothing to do with how you feel in the moment. Like you can feel terrible about somebody and still love them and be devoted to them, yes or no? Right? Every time you felt bad about your husband or your wife, it, it, what if you just left them? Ah, I don't feel like that anymore, so I'm going to leave. Now, some people do that in our world. Come on, that's not a good plan. Man, I'm talking fast because I can see the timer and I got to go. All right, so, 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 so you know what? You know what? You know what that you call a husband who only says I love you to his wife when he's feeling it? An ex-husband? Come on, somebody. Right? <laughs> Sorry, bad joke, bad joke, bad joke, bad joke. Not espousing divorce, Okay. The reality, though, is we can choose worship at any time regardless of how we're feeling. 
It, it can become an act of our will because that's what worship is. And in, in fact, I would argue that the way we get our equilibrium through this season, which wants to push us faster and faster and harder and get this, and if I don't get this, if I don't get that, the, the children won't have the perfect Christmas ever, and you know, Santa Claus won't come in a perfect moment, and, and all this, and we can make ourselves crazy. But if we stop and worship, we can regain the semblance of sanity in, in the world. The second thing, quickly, is I'm going to challenge you to grab a, an Advent devotional. And I'm, I've given you three options right here on the screen, right here. These are ones that I personally have, and I'm reading them. I'm starting them today, because today's Advent begins. The first, you can take a picture of these, by the way. If you don't know that yet from your, from your restaurants that you go to, you can, good news of great joy, that one will take you straight to that devotion. It's free, and it's 27, 28 days of just beautiful writings by John Piper, Dr. John Piper. The second one is a book by Louis Giglio, who's one of the great preachers in America, in my estimation. This is a link to a version plan, a Bible plan, or you can go buy the actual devotional, and I'm going to recommend that you do that on Amazon or wherever books are sold. It's there right now. Uh, tremendous. We'll, we'll give you tremendous insight and remind you the story. And this is the newest one that I have. And I just got it a few days ago. It's called The Greatest Gift, Unwrapping the Full Love Story of Christmas by Ann Voskamp. This one has a way with word, an artistry with words like few people I've ever seen. And this will open your heart and your mind and your life in a different way to the Advent story. I'm going to just challenge you. Get some of these. Get one of these. Get all of them. Whatever you do. Could you, would you, as a handle, a way of picking this up and leaning into the Advent season, would you get something that you read every day to remind you of the story? The real story. Three, three quick postures, because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about worship. The first posture, I, I, I will worship God in humility. So sometime during the day, every day if you can remember, start your day, maybe start it in the morning, just by getting down on your knees. Now I know this is not a power pose, or is it? Mary did this. The Magi did this. See, see, when I'm on my knees, I can't run off anywhere, can I? When I'm on my knees, I'm not quite as powerful as I was when I was on my feet. And it has a way of just humbling us a little bit. Not, not humbling us in a bad way, but bringing a sense of humility. And I'm just saying, God, I'm your servant. I'm your child. And I'm waiting here for you. It's, it's a funny thing because we think in our world today that esteem will come to us when we build ourselves up by accomplishments, achievements, or whatever. That's what we're told. <clears throat> but, but in God's kingdom, it's different. It's upside down. God builds up those who worship him in humility, just like he did for Mary. You, you know, sometimes as believers, pride can sneak up on us in some of the most subtle ways. And so somebody might say, hey, how, how did you become a Christian or why, why did you become a Christian? And we might respond with, man, I read this book. It was genius, and it just blew my mind. And I went with it, or I heard this sermon, or, you know, this person was telling me this, these stories, and, 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 and it got me. And, or I grew up in a Christian home. But let me tell you what the correct is, answer is. For reasons I will never understand, when I was prideful and stubborn and willful and rebellious and deceitful and self-centered and egotistical, God had mercy on me and sent Jesus Christ into the world. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. 
and he died on the cross for me. And nobody is more surprised that I'm a Christian than I am. So for the rest of my life, I will live my life as a living thank you card. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to save me. That is the only reasonable response. I'm just on my knees saying, God, I don't know why you did this for me. I know I don't deserve this, God. But I think, it, I think God loves to see and exalt the humble. So during the Advent season, start somewhere on your knees, just like Mary did, just like the Magi did. Just, just God, it's me, and I'm the one who needs Jesus. Tra- transformative, I'm telling you. S- second posture is, I will worship God with a willing heart. So, so the posture for that is just hands open like this. Can you do that real quick? Just, just palms open. Notice your hands. What's in them? Nothing. See, God loves for people to say, hey, God, this is who I am. This is, this is what I am. I'm empty-handed, and God loves to put good things in the hands of people. Now, now, Christmas is a time for giving gifts, and you know, oftentimes the gifts that you receive says something about what the person thinks you need. So like if somebody came to me right now and said, hey, man, I just want to give you a, this gift of Weight Watchers and a Gold's Gym membership, and I'd be like, talking about bruh? Look at me. I'm the, I'm the picture of, 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 of manhood right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm beefy. You know what I'm saying? Puffy even. But my wife might subtly come by and lovingly say, babe, trust me, you need these things. <laughs> what? Right? But the giver sees something in me that maybe I don't see in myself. And they're like, hey, you might need this thing. So do you know what God gives you at Christmas? A savior. Someone to save you from your sins. What does that say about you and I? I need somebody to pull me up out of the pit. I need somebody to rescue me from sin and death and hell and the grave. And and, and I need somebody to save me from my own foolishness. So I come before God empty-handed. God, I admit it. I confess my stuff, my sins, my worst ways, my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups. This is me, God. And God says, all right, I don't don't want you to live your life clutching, trying to build yourself up. I will make my life an act of worship. God, all of me for what you've done for me. Third third thing is I will wait. I will worship God in eager hope. See, we are no longer waiting for Jesus, the Messiah. He's come. We know that, right? But listen, the Bible tells us that he is coming again. And it says specifically that he's going to come for those who have made themselves ready for him, who are waiting in humble anticipation and expectation. So, so sometimes we'll think that worship is not for, for people who are sick or impoverished or jobless or abandoned. We'll think worship is what happy people do. But I'm going to argue that whatever your circumstances are, worship is where you get to think about the fact that you serve a strong God who Second Chronicles says that his eyes are roaming through the earth looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him to strengthen them. So I would argue that worship is the response for when you are feeling at your very worst. And here's what I want to tell you, because worship is our response to who God is and what God has done. And let me tell you what God has done. The God of all creation in the person of Jesus Christ has come down to this earth, was born in a manger, lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross, was raised from the tomb, and our sins as a result are forgiven, and our guilt is washed away, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we get the church as our spiritual family, and God as our heavenly Father, and Jesus as our 
our friend and Savior, and heaven as our eternal home forever. So if God enjoys lifted hands, then I will lift them to him. And if God enjoys my clapped hand, then I will clap it to him. If he loves my song, then I will sing it to him with everything inside of me because that's who he is and that's what he's done. I'll worship him this Christmas because it's the only reasonable response for who he is and for what he's done. And when you humble yourself in worship, God lifts you up. First Peter 5, 6 says that he, in due season, God will raise you up. I know that sounds strange, but that's, that's how things are in the kingdom of God where the first become last and the weak are made strong and the poor become rich and falling on your knees as it turns out is the greatest power pose of them all so in the name of Jesus I pray for you would you bow your heads would you close your eyes father thank you for this story God this is no fairy tale. This is no fable. This is God became a man, Emmanuel, God with us. May we, as individuals, may we collectively as a church lean into this season in new ways. May we understand the profound nature of, of Christmas. May, may, may our hearts be wide open to receive what you have for us. God, for those of us who have never made room in our hearts for Jesus, may this season be a time where, where John the Baptist was bringing people back to the heart of, of God. May this be a season where we choose to do the same, God. God, even in this place today where we can open our hearts right now and say, God, come live in me. Come, Jesus, make yourself at home in me. Come be my Lord and my Savior. Come be the forgiver of my sins and Heal the brokenness in my heart and the wounded places. God, in, in, in exchange for despair and ashes, I ask that you would give me beauty as you promised in Isaiah. Joy for mourning. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's the exchange that you want to make with us today. God, I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you for this story let it come alive in my heart. Let it come alive in my mind. L let this be a, a season where I prepare my heart by reading the story again. Maybe I gather my family around and open Luke chapter 2 and just read the story again to remind not just me but my children of the story and its significance and its place in our hearts. Come, Jesus. Come by your spirit and power. Make yourself at home in us. Come, Advent, God, come. Immerse us with your spirit. Immerse us with your power, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Can you give Jesus a hand one more time? Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.